This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 256, recorded Monday, March the 14th, 2016. How was your weekend, Chris? My weekend was sort of, it was fine. I mean, it was uh, uh, uneventful. That's good. My, my weekend seemed a little short. You were working the whole time, I hear. Well, I was, but uh, it's that daylight savings time. We lost that hour over the weekend, and I'm super pissed about it. Yeah, you're right. Today was, th- today was the first full day of daylight savings time for 2016, right? Yeah, yeah. Why are you pissed about it? Well, because it's pointless. Like, it wasn't even the farmers. Like, you really, originally, everybody thought that, not originally, but people for a long time have been thinking about it, that it's the farmer's fault. It's not the farmer's fault. It was to save gas. Yes. For some reason, because uh, people use more gas during the night. I'm not really sure exactly how it saves gas, but it doesn't save gas anymore because people drive all the time anyway. Okay, maybe it was, but the idea is that it saves electricity because you don't have to turn your lights on as early in the evening because the light, it stays lighter later. Right? That's yeah, the idea. It's irrelevant now. Well, see, this is the thing. I was thinking about this, and every time we we spring forward and fall back, there's all these uh there's all these articles in the news about how stupid it is and why do we do this and it just screws things up and it's bad for your body because it throws off your clock and more people have heart attacks and all that kind of stuff. And and a little part of me always thinks that the people writing these articles are not the people who live in the northern northern part of the northern hemisphere because up here i think changing the clock so it is lighter later is fan freaking tastic i hate it when it gets dark early and i hate it when it's dark in the morning when i get up so if when it stays light you know the latest it stays light where we live is about 9:30 quarter to 10 in the middle of the summer yeah and at this time of year when we gain an extra hour of daylight Oh, man, it's great. I left work today. It was still light out. I got home. It was still light out. It's only just been dark for a short time. Well, you're the only person I've ever heard of that uh, actually kind of likes this time-shifting crap because it's very annoying to me. I really don't like it. I think it's a pain in the ass, absolutely, but I appreciate the effect it has. And you get up earlier, man. Uh, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> that doesn't so work. You know that regardless of what time it is, that there's the exact same amount of daylight during the day. Right? right, but it's shifted later. And shifting later, I like. I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I said, I don't like it when it's dark when I wake up in the morning, and that's like all winter. But um, what, I, what I mean is I feel like the people that complain, that think this is useless and annoying, are the people that live south of here, like mid-United States, southern United States, where the the daylight doesn't have as wide of a variety throughout the year, right? The closer you get to the equator, the close the uh the more consistent daylight is all day right yeah we live in southern canada which it it varies wildly in the winter it gets dark at 4 30 in the afternoon and in the summer it gets dark at 9 30 at night um so there's a big difference and i appreciate having more daylight later on and i think those southerners need to stop complaining about changing their clocks by one hour well, I live at the same latitude as you, yes. and uh, I think it's useless, I think it's annoying, and I'm complaining. <laughs> Fine. All right. Well, you could move to Saskatchewan or whatever the province out there is that doesn't change their clocks if oh, you want. Oh, this province. This uh, out on the uh, the other side of uh, 
at Thunder Bay, they don't have daylight savings time. There are there are there are pockets around Ontario. Fort Francis, Ontario. Yeah. I could move out there. They're uh, yeah, they're, they're they don't have daylight well, savings. Have fun out there in the extreme Best north. Fishing in the world, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyways, welcome to daylight savings time, everybody. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we get started, one other quick thing, um, on Wednesday, I'm going to announce another giveaway or raffle that we're going to do for a kind of a cool prize. So make sure you don't skip our feedback show this week on Wednesday, cause you want to hear all about that. Um, and that's really it. Okay. <laughs> we are now good to go. So we are here to recap season six, episode 13. And here's what it was called. The same boat. <laughs> Soon you'll be here in the talking dead. No matter how many cups of coffee I fixed for that bastard, I always wound up in the same boat. Hey, Chris, if you had a boat and you used it on Saturday, and then, Jason, if you used that same boat on Sunday, <laughs> then over the weekend you both would have used the same boat. The same boat. The same boat. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic pudding past presents the same boat. Now with more beats. Beats make it pink. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank that you. That was awesome. Thank you, John on the internet, Todd in Amelia Island, Florida, Caleb in Rome, New York, Sam in Decatur, Georgia, Lee in St. Catharines, Ontario, and Dave and Ann in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right. <laughs> I really love how people are starting to do title reads, like insert it into sentences or, you know, <laughs> come up with little little bits they do or something. It's, it's oh, awesome. And even uh, 70s and 80s television show titles and sing, sing-alongs is, uh, is okay by me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, man, that's fun. Thank you, everyone. If you want to get a title read next week. Uh, we will remind you what the title of next week's episode is on our Wednesday podcast, but all you got to do is figure out the title and record it and send it to us. And I play pretty much all the ones I get, uh, <laughs> unless the quality is really bad or something like that. So yeah. thank you to everyone who sent that in. And fun fact, uh, a band I was in in the nineties, we actually covered the love boat theme song, uh, in our, in our show. Do it was you, one of the covers we did. Do you have that on tape anywhere? It is not on tape anywhere. Come but, on. Uh, one of the reasons we did that particular song was that uh, we had a horn section and uh, we wanted to use it to its full potential. And how do you use a horn section to its full potential? You do the theme song from The Love Boat. All right. Well, I wish I heard, I wish I could hear that. I wish you had that recorded somewhere. Yeah, me too. Would you still remember how to play it? Yeah, for me, I, I'm a drummer. It'd be super easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a drummer. Every how song how is the same. How do you screw that up? <laughs> I can do one beat and it works for everything. <laughs> it's just kind of a, it's kind of a samba. So uh, yeah, not really a big deal. Okay. Well, good. Uh, four, maybe four samba. It's, it's let, fine. Let's get the band back together and you can be the drummer. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So this episode, here comes our recap. We pick up right where we left off last week, pretty much, except... It's from the other perspective. It's from mm. the perspective of the people who have Carol and Maggie. That's true. Um, but what happens is it, it, we get to see how they get captured. And basically what happens is Carol kills the walker uh, that sneaks up on them while her and Maggie are talking. And then she shoots a guy who appears out of nowhere behind Maggie in the shoulder. 
and they're ambushed by him, I guess, and three women. Mm -hmm. So um, they get on the uh, binoculars. So we're seeing through the binoculars. So we're getting their perspective on things. They see Daryl beat the guy up who had his bike, his motorcycle. And then we watch the same conversation between, um, or the same conversation with Rick from the other perspective. So Rick says now he wants to trade their guy and we find out that his name is Primo. Primo. <laughs> yeah. He is the number one dude. <laughs> Primo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's nothing wrong with that. No, not, not at all. Really? Uh, he wants to trade Primo for Maggie and Carol and Rick basically says, you know, you have no other choice and this is a fair trade, even though it's like a two for one deal. Right. Right. Um, now, the woman on the walkie talkie that has Carol and Maggie, she says, we'll get back to you. And she puts hoods over Maggie and Carol, or at least pulls their like shirts over their heads. Right. And so the, the actress that uh, the lead actress. Mm hmm. Uh, I really dislike that actress. I always have. She was in, I've seen her in many things over the years, and uh, I've hated her in absolutely everything that I've seen her in. Really? Well, her name is Alicia Witt. Yeah. And can you list off anything she's been in off the top of your head? Uh, Law and Order. Uh, she was one of the detectives in Law and Order, and uh, she, I just despised her. And let me look up other stuff, but that's where I remember her from first seeing her was in uh, was in Law and Order. Interesting. It's, it's her voice and her way of using her voice when she talks just, just grates on me. I don't know <laughs> what it is exactly, but it just, I find her very irritating and I couldn't wait for, uh, uh, I hoped right from the moment I saw her, I'm like, oh, please, 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 Carol, killer, killer, Carol. <laughs> I was just so hoping that she would die by the end of this episode so that I wouldn't have to watch her anymore. Jason's so brutal. I hate her voice. I wanted her to die. <laughs> I want her character to die. I wanted her not be to be on this show anymore. That was it. I don't want the actress to die. I'm sure she's perfectly lovely, mm -hmm. but I did not want to see her stupid face on this show more than one episode. <laughs> you're, so, you're so cruel. <laughs> she was on uh, AMC's Talking Dead after after the show and she does have a little bit of an unusual way of talking even in real life i'll i'll give you that but i didn't really know her from anything and i didn't have any sort of strong reaction to her either way uh she's much prettier in real life though holy moly they really uggoed her up for the show oh yeah they did she's uh yeah and i remember in uh, in law and order they really kind of, they did pretty her up for that kind of role too just kind of a played her as a as a cutesy detective and it just it's just so annoying. Well, that's, yeah, that's annoying on the show. But in real life, I thought she was a very attractive woman. But um, so Alicia Witt plays Paula. That's her character name. Also here, we've got a character named Michelle, who who goes by Shell. And she's played by Jean-Ann Goosen. It's G it looks like Jean-Ann, or maybe it's a funny spelling of Janine. I think it's Jean-Ann. Anyways, Goosen. Uh, we've got Molly, or Malls, played by Jill Jane Clements, or Clements. And we've got Donnie, who's the dude, played by Russ Blackwell. Right. So those are our four new characters here. Um, and uh, basically, that's the cold open. So we just see them try to negotiate this quick deal. And it ends with Paula saying, we'll get back to you. And they put the hoods over Maggie and Carol. And we go through our opening credits. Yeah, she was in Justified, she was in Friday Night Lights, she was in uh, uh, Law and Order, what else we got here going? We got Nashville, not that I've seen any of that stuff. Uh, 
yeah, she's been in a ton of stuff, but the stuff I remember her from is Law and Order, uh, The Mentalist, when I, way back when I watched that show, and Justified. Interesting. I haven't seen Justified yet, but I do want to. And I did watch uh, Friday Night Lights and loved it, but I, I can't picture her from Friday Night Lights. I can't do it either. Maybe she so. was just a, way younger or something like that. She no, because she, wasn't she the, was a detective in Law and Order before she was on Friday Night Lights. She played Cheryl. Let's see if I can get a description of Cheryl. No, I can't. On Friday Night Lights? Yeah. I was going to say maybe she was the the sister, like the daughter of Coach Taylor, but no, that's not the right that's no. not the right person. No, no. She was only in uh, a few episodes. She wasn't in the whole thing. Oh, okay. Anyhow, Paula, Alicia Witt, after our opening credits, we come back and we've got what I'm going to call the hoodie cam. Because what we're doing is we're seeing Carol, I think Carol's perspective, uh, as they're being led around uh, walking and then driving somewhere. But all we can see is them sort of straight down at their feet. So they've got this hood over their head and all you can see is their feet looking at the ground. Well, see, I prefer to think of it as the footy cam. Footy cam. The footy cam? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> footy cam's probably more apt because there were shots of non-feet stuff. Not really. T- tying up their hands when they're sitting in the mm. truck or what have you. Okay, you're right. We got the tape going around the hands and stuff like that. But when they're in there or when they're covered, we can really just hear what's going on. And here are some of the things we can hear Paula saying. She's talking on the radio and she's saying, Omega, Omega, saviors down, go to Gamma Code Fire. <laughs> uh, she says, Alpha Channel is not clear. We follow the protocol. Uh, she continues, headed to breakpoint, switch to beta channel, same code. If I'm not there, toggle to alpha, listen in. And then uh, as they're entering a building, she refers to it as a safe house. So a lot of stuff there, not too much that really means anything to us. Although I, I took away from it that it sounds like they're extremely organized. It does, and uh, it makes sense. Like, you don't own two-way radios, right? No. Nope, like with your nope, family nope. when you go to the zoo and stuff, and you need to split up, and you just use your cell phones because, you know, you're regular human beings and that's crazy right. people. That's right. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, there's there's you can have multiple channels, and then there's sub-channels in there, and you can even get uh, uh, two-way radios. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let me guess. You have two-way radios for that, don't you? Well, I bought them for when my wife and I went kayaking because we can't use our phones on the water because right. what happens if the water get if the water gets wet if the if the phones get wet so the radios that I bought are waterproof. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So there's channels and then there's sub channels and then uh, there's privacy codes. So that's what I think that they're using is the you know go to alpha channel so yep. channel one to twenty four or whatever it is, and then go to. Uh, you know, use the regular privacy channel, which there's a whole bunch of them. So uh, that uh, that's that's what she's saying is to go to the backup one, right? That we use. But the whole point is that they're just they have these systems in place. They have yes. they've talked about this before. They've clearly done this sort of thing before. This isn't their first time. You know, yeah, you, using you radios. Know, these systems in place are the same kind of thing. Whereas when my wife and I go kayaking, I say, you know, the f- first channel we're going <laughs> to use is four privacy code 16 and then the next one is uh six channel 16 privacy code 32 you're so formal about it you're it's you and your wife just going on a kayaking well trip what happens if you're if you talking on the radio and somebody else is using your frequency right right so you just you have a you have a backup <laughs> plan in case somebody happens to be using that channel because there's only a finite number of channels of course and you know what happens if you're on the water and somebody else is using that channel 
It makes sense. It makes sense. I just think it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's such a casual thing, you know. You're out going for a nice day kayaking, but uh, but you've got to have uh, you've got to have a channel and a backup channel plan and probably code, oh, it's, code it's words. Prep. And then you wear your life vest because you know if you don't have your PFD on and you fall in the water, you know the planning goes a long way. So you 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 plan for these things. You have your your safety gear. You have your tow rope. You have all these kind of kind of things. You have your uh, water certificate for boating. Right? I do. I have a boat dry uh, boat license. Yeah. Right. So you have to plan for safety. <laughs> it's not uh, it's not a casual thing. You just get in because that's how you get killed. You know, you get in. It's like oh, we're going to paddle for a while, and I'm going to leave my PFD on the floor to uh, put rest my feet on. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, a storm comes out of nowhere and tips your canoe over. And what are you doing? Your PFD is floating away on you, and your canoe is floating away on you. <laughs> you got to paddle, uh, and that's it. Suddenly and, you're upside down, and next thing you know, you're dead. You're dead. People have died that way. I know they many have. times. I know lots every day, in fact. So, so if I was going to go anywhere with a radio, whoever has the other radio, I would make these plans with. It's not uh, a super organized. It's just common sense. Okay. Well, I thought it, it portrayed the saviors and the, at least these people as being prepared for the situation they're in. Right. You remember when Rick. Uh, in season, beginning of season two, at the end of season one, when Rick had the radio and he was radioing Morgan every morning at dawn or whatever yep. it was. Yep. Okay. Do you think that they agreed on a channel at the at, for that uh, that purpose? I don't think they did. They did. They just didn't show it on the air. Like, because there's so many, there's like 32 channels plus hundreds of privacy codes, uh, you know, scanning those every morning and broadcasting on every single one of them would take. Hours and hours and hours. So before they left, they agreed on channels. So the radios are sort of useless unless you do that planning ahead step. Yes. Somewhat. Yeah. Interesting. So all they, you know, I will grant them that they have come up with, uh, you know, a backup plan. Not just, you know, just use this channel and then uh, if that channel doesn't work, well, that channel will work because we're not going to have a backup plan. So they have come up with a backup plan. So that's uh, kudos to them for that. Yeah, well, she even says we follow the protocol. So clearly they have a protocol. Right. Well, that's good for them. Anyways, they got to a safe house. That's the other thing here. They have a location that is remote from their main living area. And this is somewhere they can go in an emergency. So they've gone to one of their safe houses, which is something else that we haven't ever seen our group do. They just move from spot to spot. And... You know, they've had to take cover in places before, but they've never really, at least that we've seen, had, you know, what you would call a safe house, somewhere that's out there that they can go to in an emergency. Right. So the saviors seem to know what they're doing. That I would grant them. All right, fine. (laughs) More so than our group, anyways. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so we get into this safe house and they yank the hood off of Maggie and we get a zombie jump scare. Yay! There's a zombie right in front of her. Uh, on a chain, I guess, but it's right in front of her face. So, uh, you know, it just, it was a, it was a jump scare, which I was sort of surprised at. We don't get too many of those on this show. Not too many, which is good. Which is good. I wouldn't want that happening all the time. We get stealth zombies who sneak up on people, but this was a little different. I thought. Yeah. Okay. So they have them sitting in this room on the floor. They're bound and gagged and, uh, somebody out in the hall calls for backup I think that was um, Donnie, because he's not in there yet, is he? Right. No, he's not. No. So he calls for backup. 
Paula threatens to kill them if they try anything, and then she leaves to help. Um, but immediately Maggie starts trying to cut the tape off of her hands. <laughs> right. Don't try anything or I'll kill you, but she goes for it anyways. But then what else are you going to do? You need to try to escape. Um, Carol, she picks up a rosary that's at her feet and tries to put it back in her cargo pocket of her pants um, and then starts hyper hyperventilating. But the rosary, is this something she has had with her the whole time and it just fell out? No, the uh, the zombie that they pulled out had the rosary on her. Oh. Or on, yeah, I think it was a her. And when they were pulling it out, uh, they pulled it past Carol's foot and it got caught on her foot. The one that, the one they dragged out of the room. Yes, so when they dragged the zombie out of the room, that's who had the rosary. Okay, so Carol grabbed it and tried to hang on to it, put it in her pocket. Yeah, it's a um, MacGyver rosary. Got it, got it. She figured it might come in handy later. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, now she starts hyperventilating. Do you think this was an act? Oh, yeah. This was totally on purpose. She was uh, trying to get rid of all her carbon dioxide or build up her carbon dioxide or whatever the hell hyperventilating is so that uh, she would be in obvious respiratory distress when the uh, her captors came back and would have to do something about it. I would have to do something. So it's a, it's a plan. It's a good idea on her part. Yeah. I guess to force them into action that they might not have taken otherwise. Well, it's also her uh, go-to play-acting role as well, right? Be the hapless victim, mm -hmm. uh, the person that uh, nobody can figure out why they've been able to survive up until now and uh, have whoever's around her completely underestimate her. Right, right. That, that makes sense. That's This seems to be what Carol is pretty good at, you know? Yeah. Making people believe she's one thing when she's not. Um, so Paula, Molly, and Shell come in, and they have Donnie. Now, he's injured, um, and they tourniquet his arm with some rope. I wasn't quite clear on whether he was bit or not, but I think he was. No, he was shot by Carol. Yeah, but was he injured? But it, I think he was additionally injured because he called from the hall needing some help. I think there were zombies out there. Yeah, because they, they went into the safe house, but the safe house wasn't clear. Right. So, so he, he was trying to clear out the, the zombies that got in. Right. But he needed help. He needed help, but don't you think he got bit by one of those zombies while he was out there that we didn't see? Why would they tourniquet the arm just to stop the bleeding or stop? I'm confused now, yeah. Didn't, where did Carol shoot him? In the shoulder? In the shoulder, yeah. So why the hell would they tourniquet his arm? Yeah, that's, that doesn't make any sense unless he was bit lower down on the arm. All right, I'm going to watch. I, I think maybe he was. Anyways, he's injured no matter what. He's in rough shape. Um, <clears throat> now... Carol is still hyperventilating, so while they're dealing with Donnie, Maggie starts making a commotion and says they have to take Carol's gag off or she's going to, you know, hyperventilate to death. And they do that, so Carol slowly calms down and uh, has the rosary in her hand. I think they sort of give it to her, kind of, right? Because it's right. falling out of her pocket. Yeah. Um, Paula sees this and thinks Carol is afraid to die and can't believe it. Living in a world like this, after having survived this long, you're still afraid to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, why wouldn't you be? Well, I agree. I mean, why that's crazy. You? Not afraid to die. I think the people that are most afraid to die may be the ones that survive the longest. Maybe. You're you're the most aware of your surroundings. You're the carefulest, you know? I, I think it's uh, the Bushido, the, the Japanese warrior code, is the, the warrior who is not afraid to die cannot be killed is one of the belief systems. It's complete bullshit, but it's uh, a belief system. That's the opposite, though. If you're not afraid it to is. die, you cannot be killed. Here, being afraid to die is what keeps you alive. 
Yes, but I think what she's saying is I can't believe you you are still afraid to die. Right. And are still alive. Got it. Yeah. Right? So they, they believe that, you know, we don't fear death, therefore we're uh, invincible. Yeah. Okay. Well, either way, Carol's got a pretty good act going here. You know, she's pretending to hyperventilate. She's pretending to be very meek and uh, timid. Um, but uh, Carol tells them not to hurt Maggie, don't hurt the baby. So she ah. she gives away the fact that Maggie is pregnant. She wants to throw them off, make them think about it. That's right. That's right. Give them something to worry about or something to consider. Again, giving them this information that they might not have otherwise, otherwise had and making them, forcing them to think about these things, you know, whenever they're making plans or deciding what to do. Yeah. Carol's so smart. <laughs> She's pretty smart. She knows exactly what's going on here. Um, so they start talking to Maggie and they, they tell her that she's stupid to get knocked up and they question whether she'll even live through the birth. And, and, uh, Paula kind of mocks her for thinking that children are the future in this world. You know, <laughs> there is, I, I mean, she's kind of saying, you know, there is no future here. So why are you even bother bothering to try? And then they refer to the baby as bite-sized snacks for the dead. <laughs> yeah. It's lovely. Isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, you know, they won't kill a baby on screen, but they'll refer to babies getting killed on screen. Well, yeah. Or There's nothing wrong world. with that. That's just words. Sticks and stones and all that. Yeah, that's right. So then Molly lights up a cigarette and starts coughing like crazy. And Carol takes, you know, the act of one step further and says, you shouldn't smoke in here. That's not good for the baby. <laughs> <laughs> like anybody would care about that at this point, I think. And, well, it's uh, part of her act. It's right? part of her act, but it works because the very next thing that happens is sort of uh, Molly laughs it off, but then Michelle seems to agree and tells Molly to put out the cigarette. Yeah. So Carol is getting to Shell a little bit here. Just a little bit. It's that crack. It's just a little crack. Yeah. Carol's going to weasel her way into. Yeah. Um, and at this point, Molly starts coughing blood into a handkerchief. So she seems to be sick no matter what. She's got the lung cancer. She's got the lung cancer, I think. Now, let me ask you something. The name Shell, the only thing I can think of when the name Shell comes up is Shell, the main character from Portal. Okay. The video games. Do you think that was a little kind of nod or a tribute? It could be. Because it's pretty rare. I've never heard of Michelle who goes by Shell before. Or Shelly can go by Shell. Sh Shelly, or sh oh, sure, but in this case it was Michelle. But I just mean the name Shell. Not many Shellys or Michelles go by Shell. Yeah. Shell. Stop saying Shellac's Shell. Shellac's a girl, girl's name, right? <laughs> Shellac. <laughs> <laughs> I once knew a Shellac who went by Shell. <laughs> there you go. Or Lac. <laughs> or Lac. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder, I don't know, this, this room, this environment they're in kind of reminded me a little bit of some of the environments in the video game portal. And I thought, maybe, oh, right. The back rooms, yeah, the, the, uh, the non testing chambers. Exactly. It reminded oh. me of that a little bit. And now they have yeah, shell and yeah, amazing game. So I, I don't know. play it. Can we pause the podcast while I go play portal? You can do it after. All right. I promise. I hope they make another portal someday. Cause I love those, those games as well. Yeah. Anyhow, that's all I was thinking that shell is a, is a uh, reference to portal. Uh, Molly coughs up the blood. We go to commercial. And when we come back, Donnie is in kind of rough shape. He's suffering a bit. And Paula says that a scout crew is coming in 30 minutes. So he's got to hold out until then. Yep. We got backup coming yeah. with, a, with a medic. That's right. 
and she called it a scout crew. So it's, I think, probably another group like them who were out patrolling, scouting, and she basically radioed for help. She's like, we've run into a problem. Where are you guys? Can you get to us? You know, we need some backup. Yeah. Which is just another, more information about the saviors, right? It seems like they have, they have safe houses, they have scouting parties who aren't necessarily out looking for supplies like our group does. They're just out scouting the area around where they live to keep it safe or make sure they know everything that's going on. So it's a recon patrol, a recon patrol. I'm starting to think that the saviors are extremely organized. Yeah, I would think so. You know, if they're doing all these sorts of things. So um, this episode, even though it was all about what was going on here, they dropped in all this extra information that kind of completed or enhanced our picture of the saviors, which I thought was really, really well done. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Maggie. So she says they're coming 30 minutes. Maggie says they don't have that much time. And she suggests that Primo can help. And it's time to end this by talking to Rick. Make the deal, get your man back, and then, you know, you can maybe save Donnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donnie doesn't want to wait. He gets up, and he's all pissed off, and uh, he wants to kill both of them. He wants to kill everybody in the room, it seems like. And he argues with Paula about it, and then he hits her and knocks her down. The backhander, yeah. The backhander. Uh, so he is not really on Team Paula anymore, at least not for this minute. Uh, Maggie kicks him in the ankle. And he picks her up, but she headbutts him. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, you see people headbutt each other on TV and movies all the time. And all I can think of is, God damn, that must hurt. The headbutter or the headbutty? Both. I mean, I know if you get headbutted, butt, headbutted in the nose, you're going to really feel that. But I got to think whacking your forehead on the bridge of somebody's nose is going to hurt you too. Yeah, but it's all uh, it's about all about the payoff, right? Because if you you know if you just headbutt them in the forehead, then it's uh, like for like. But if you headbutt somebody in the nose, then sure it's going to hurt you, but it's going to hurt them more. Yeah. And if that's the only you know the only option you have, then uh, you got to do what you got to do. Oh, I get it. But if if you miss and get him in the teeth or something, you're going to have a big teeth chunk out of your forehead. I mean, yeah, don't headbutt somebody in the teeth. No, no, I don't know. Anyways, Maggie successfully executes the headbutt, uh, and um, he, you know, he lets go over, and then Donnie kicks Carol a bunch of times until Paula knocks him out. So Carol took the sort of the worst of that, I would say. She got kicked in the ribs and the back a few times. Yeah. Um, Paula instructs Shell to take Maggie to another room, separate these people up so we don't have any more issues. Now, in the other room, uh, Shell wants to know where Maggie is from. She says that it must be somewhere good because you have nice clothes and stuff like that. Uh, but before Maggie can answer, she pukes on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think of your question. <laughs> Just going to barf all over the place. Uh, and then Shell says something interesting. She tells Maggie that you're not the good guys. So who are the good guys? Well, there are no good guys. Good guys are all dead. It sort of seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we happen to follow this one group as viewers of the show, but it doesn't seem like anybody here is really good. No, we have protagonists and antagonists, but we don't have good guys or bad guys. No, it's just not that that black and white anymore. Yeah. Um, back in the other room, pa- uh, Molly is patching up Paula and Carol playing the game. She thanks them for helping Maggie. 
And she starts to tell them about her husband, Ed, but Kala, uh, Paula cuts her off and, and says, we're nothing like you. Basically, Carol's trying to sort of identify or bond with them a little bit, but Paula sees right through this, says, we're nothing like you. Yeah. Um, she says that Donnie is just a warm body for my bed, nothing more. And, you know, I could kill him anytime I want kind of thing. Um, we don't, she's kind of saying, I don't have these personal relationships that you think you do or you think we do. So, yeah. um, and then she questions whether Carol really believes that crap referring to the, the rosary she's holding and religious beliefs and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, she's trying to get under Carol's skin, right? Yep. Well, Carol's trying to fool her into something. And I think Carol's getting under Paula's skin a little bit, and Paula's sort of defending herself somewhat, you know? Yeah. She's kind of saying, you may think that I'm a good person or I'm a, you know, because we're two human beings, we have similar experiences, but Paula, Paula's like, no, don't think so. Yeah, she's trying to talk up a tough game. Like, we're tougher than you are, we're meaner than you are, you're nothing, you're going to die uh, for some reason. Just, yeah. you know, being a tough guy, tough girl, well, tough gal. Well, as the... As the captor i mean that's the kind i mean i guess that's the method she's she wants to take right she wants to be the the bad cop i don't think there's a good cop in this situation but you know no no good cop she's asserting dominance and that's what she's trying to do yeah uh back in the other room we see that michelle is missing a finger and maggie asks about it and she tells her that she stole something and got caught oh no so despite all this information about how well organized and stuff the saviors are, it seems like they have a rather brutal disciplinary system. Yeah, it's harsh punishment, but it's not as harsh as it could be. I mean, they didn't cut off her whole hand. No, just cut off the pinky finger, it looked just like. Just a little pinky finger, very uh, Yakuza type thing. That's the most useless of all the fingers. Well, it depends on what you're doing. If you're snorting coke, that's a good finger to have. Yeah, I guess I've never snorted coke, so I wouldn't. Me know. neither, but I would think. <laughs> Once again, I've seen it done in movies, so <laughs> so go back and watch Star Wars. So if you watch Star Wars, I think it's Empire Strikes Back, where uh, you can see uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, Princess Leia, patting uh, Han Solo on the shoulder, and if you take a look at her little tiny pinky finger, she's got a really long nail—just one long nail on that pinky finger. That is Carrie Fisher's. <sighs> Coke finger. Why do you insist on ruining Star Wars for me at every chance you get? It's trivia, my friend. You were Star the Wars, Carrie Fisher, Coke finger trivia, trivia. You were the one who introduced me to the whole Jar Jar Binks theory about him being a master Jedi and being pivotal to the entire plot line. But it he was, is the Phantom Menace. <laughs> but it was changed because of all the backlash against him. Lucas, Lucas is a jerk. That's why he, he didn't. He, he wimped out and he didn't follow through on his his uh, vision because he's a moron. Okay, really, <laughs> really quickly. One, part of me just hates that idea so much because of how, how stupid Jar Jar was. But the other part of me is like, maybe if George Lucas had just followed through with his original vision for the story and told it what the story he wanted to tell, maybe those would have been better movies. You know what? I really don't think so. <laughs> I think if you're holding on to that hope that uh, that you're way wrong. You, I think those movies were crap no matter what because George Lucas is a jerk and shouldn't be in charge of anything. But is it possible they were crap because they were changed and not given the proper uh, just story treatment, right? We we can't get into this right now, but like maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> why those movies or one of the reasons those movies were bad. 
Those movies were doomed because George Lucas was in complete creative control. No matter what happened, what could have been, they were doomed just simply because of that fact. How the hell did we get onto Jar Jar in Star Wars? uh, Carrie Fisher's Coke Finger. Oh, the Coke Finger, right. (laughs) Stop ruining Star Wars for me. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to go back and see the Force Awakens again in theater and... It'll all be okay. Just to relax, just to take a deep breath, Force Awakens. It comes out uh, (sighs) on home video and Netflix soon, so I'm looking forward to watching it over and over again. Anyhow, um, what happened? Shell's missing a finger. She stole something and got caught. Oh, and she tells Maggie that her boyfriend was blown up. Right. By Daryl on the highway, I assume? I would think so. Yeah. Her boyfriend was in that group of uh, oh, man. motorcycle people, motorcycle gang. Um, and uh, then Maggie notices a tattoo that she has that says Frankie. And um, Shell says that Frankie was her dad and that she was going to name her baby after her dad. So now we know that Shell was going to have a baby at two at some point. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she lost the baby at some right. point during the pregnancy. So... Um, it kind of explains why Shell was, you know, on the side of putting out the cigarette in the scene before. Right. Because she's uh, very conscientious of, uh, you know, baby's needs. She had some sympathy for Maggie being pregnant. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's just kind of lucky that Carol brought that up and was able to appeal to her sympathetic side there about the pregnancy. So... Interesting stuff. We go to commercial and we come back and the radio crackles and it's Rick's voice and he's asking Paula to make the trade again, but she still refuses. And Carol, she's there and she tries to explain that they didn't want to kill their people, but she says that, you know, your people ambushed our group on the road, said they were going to take all our stuff. And she says, what other choice did we have? We had to kill them to keep our stuff. We need stuff too. She's a good liar. Yeah, I guess so. But she's not, I mean, she's telling the truth here. That's the art of a good liar is you take the truth and you weave it into the story that you want to tell. Yeah. Okay. It's, that's not why they did it. It's just, it is a good way of saying why it fits all the facts. It actually, it's a good motivation. It's a, you use part of the truth to imply the lie. Oh, you are sneaky and Carol is sneaky. Yeah, that's uh, that's the art of a good liar. <laughs> it's pretty good, though. It does make a lot of sense. You're, you know, your guys ambushed our people. We blew them up and we had to. We had no choice. Yeah. But Shell questions her. Or, uh, it's not Shell. I think it's Paula. Is it Paula, Paula or Shell? Paula. Paula, she, she says, you know, fine. You killed our people in self-defense. That I get. But why didn't you stop there? Which is the next logical question. You know, you killed the people that were threatening you. Why did you have to come and kill everybody else too? And I think that's just as valid a question. Uh, yes and no. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's a certain logic to preemptive uh, retaliation. You know, the, well, there's a it depends on which side you're on. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, I think it's I think it's a valid question. Anyways, you know, you eliminated the the people that were the threat, and at the time, I guess they didn't even know there were more people, but somehow they found out and decided they had to eliminate them as well. Yeah, the threat didn't go away, so they needed to continue with yeah. uh, eliminating the threat. Yeah. Um, now, at this point, 
Carol mentions Negan for the first time in this episode, I think. And Molly has a really fascinating answer. She says, we are all Negan. Yeah, that was very interesting. And Carol doesn't understand this. She keeps asking, what do you mean? Uh, so we'll talk about that after the full recap here, because it comes up again at the end. But mm -hmm. um, interesting answer nonetheless. Now, Donnie is on the floor, and he looks dead. <laughs> I don't think he's quite dead yet, but he's not in good shape. Uh, Carol asks Molly for a cigarette, and she gives her one. So after all that, she wants her own cigarette. Well, that's because uh, Maggie's out of the room. You know, baby's not there. Smoke him. Smoke him if you got him. Sure, but Paula calls her weak for not sticking to her principles. So is this a is this an error on Carol's part in her weave of or web of lies here? Switching, sort of flip flopping on things. Not necessarily. I mean, the the cigarette could be a. It's a sign of relaxation. It's also a. You know, if you want to buddy up to somebody, have a smoke with them, share a smoke with them, kind of thing. So I think it's I it's it's a way of. Uh, you know, not really ingratiating, but just uh, becoming more personal with them. And I think to my point, maybe it's not sort of a flip-flop. Maybe it's a deliberate attempt on Carol's part to confuse them, right? Yeah. It's like before, a minute ago, I was all anti-smoking. I know there was a baby here. Now I'm like, give me a cigarette. So what do I truly believe? You have no way of knowing. Well, there's also a, uh, I'm not sure if it's a rule of business or a manipulation ploy, but I, I think it's uh, in order to get somebody on your side, try and get them to do you a favor, a small, small favor that they wouldn't even consider a significant act, just something, just get them to do something for you. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's, can I borrow a smoke? Yeah. And I have a smoke. Yeah, yeah. And it's, so they're, they've done something for Carol, and that sets the precedent of uh, something bigger. Right? I, I, I'm not sure where I heard that or what uh, form that takes, but I think that if you want to get somebody on your side, try and get them, hey, can I borrow a paperclip kind of thing. It's yeah. a way of uh, making friends and influencing people. I can see that, actually, because even if it's totally subconscious – the captor in this case is giving the cigarette and you know, they just by nature feel good about that because they're giving something to someone, right? Yeah. They don't realize it, but it's a slightly stronger connection between the two people. Yeah. You can't keep completely apart if you've helped them in some way. I think anyways, yeah. that's the idea. So I think that's what Carol is, you know, ultimately trying to do is to, not only ingratiate herself with her captors, but to, you know, start the uh, the flow of power into her direction. <laughs> she can feel the power entering her. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. Um, so now Paula tells her a story of her sort of life before the apocalypse. And I don't know if we need to go through the whole thing, but she said she was a secretary and she had a boss who was a total dick. And, um, you know... She makes reference to this story about three pots of water and you boil a carrot and egg and a coffee bean and they all turn out differently. Yep. And you're supposed to be want to be the coffee bean because it had the most effect. It changed the water instead of just changing itself. That's that whole story is horseshit. And I'll tell you why. Please do. So you put the the I am going to tell the whole story. Okay. You put three. You get three pots of boiling water. In one you put a carrot. In the other you put an egg. The other the third you put some coffee beans. In the first one, the egg. Uh, sorry, the carrot. The water makes the carrot go soft. In the second one, the water makes the egg 
something fragile get hard. And the third is the coffee bean changes the water itself yes. into coffee. You forget the fact that if you're the coffee bean, everything that you are gets leached out. And sure, you've changed the water, but what the hell are you anymore? Mm. You are no so, longer anything. You are no longer coffee. You know, you've changed the, sure, you've changed the water, but your essence is gone. So what is, what's the best thing to be? The answer is none of them. <laughs> you know, if you're being thrown into a pot of boiling water, no matter what you started out as, you're fucked. Maybe the egg. I mean, at least you go in fragile and come out hard. Yeah, and rubbery and soulless and... <laughs> Boiled, hard-boiled eggs aren't soulless. They're delicious. No, but they're not, a, they're not an egg anymore. I guess. So then the carrot, the carrot is still a carrot when it comes yeah, out. Yeah, it's yummy. <laughs> so it's you all want, soft and yummy, but butter on that. Mm -mm. Maybe you want to be the carrot then. I don't think you want to be anything. I think if you get thrown into a bottle of boiling, boiling water, no matter what you started out with, you're going to change. Like that's, that's the thing is you're going to change. So uh, what do you want to be? Well, I think to her saying that it's the coffee, like that's the obvious answer. I think that's horseshit. Yeah, no, you, you've kind of talked, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But the point is that, you know, you, I mean, if you ignore the fact that the coffee beans are now nothing, they have influenced their surroundings, right? And that's what she's trying to say. You need to, if you want to change something, you have to do it. You can't just, you know, you, you have to affect change, basically. Yeah, so you want to be ham. If you want to be thrown into a bottle, pot of boiling water, you want to be ham. Because at the end of it, you come out boiled ham, and the water is hot ham water. So you've changed the water, too. Yourself and the water. All right. Yeah. So replace so, coffee beans with ham. Ham is the obvious answer. Ham is always the answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> boiled ham. Mm -mm, good. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, all right. Ham is the answer. <laughs> I don't know what the question was, but ham is the answer. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, other information we get from Paula during this story is that the army took over Washington, D.C., and they evacuated all the important people first, like government officials and stuff like that, because there's a lot of them around Washington. And during the outbreak, she was stuck at her work, so she couldn't get back to her husband and four children, four girls. Four, wow. Yep. And she says that she killed her boss and, you know, she said that this saved her and made her stronger. So a fair bit of backstory, actually, for a character that's new on the show that we don't usually get, I don't think. Yeah. She's a talker. Yeah, I guess. But what, do you think this was made up? This was all no, lies? I don't. But, you know, there's people that you meet that want to tell you their life story as oh, soon yeah. as you meet them. Everybody else probably heard it and tired of it. She, you know, Carol shows up and it's like, an audience. That's right. And she's able to tell her stories all over again. <laughs> an audience. I know people like that, that want to tell yeah. you their life story all the time. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, I think, you know, I think it was equally, I mean, now that the carrot and water and egg story is, is BS, uh, it's not as quite as impactful, but I think there was a bunch of information there that sort of filled in her backstory in a, in a nice way. In an important way. So when, you know, when anything, when even the slightest disturbance in society happens, what's her first instinct? Kill your boss. Kill your boss, if that's who you're stuck with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm frustrated and angry. I can't get back to my family. I'm going to kill my boss. Yeah, well, you know, that's okay. 
for her. Uh, so Carol tells Paula that she will die if she doesn't work this out and meaning like making the deal with Rick and, and Paula says, asks if Carol will be the one to kill her. And she responds, I hope not. Which was the best answer possible. That was an awesome line. Yeah. I mean, you say yes. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, Paula's not going to take her seriously. And I, I don't think she's going to take a yes or a no seriously, but I hope not. It's just so vague and, and you know, who yeah. knows what it means. It's great. It's an awesome line. It's great for confusing people. Yeah. So after a commercial break, we come back and Paula is now radioing Rick and she says she wants to make the trade. Hooray! And suggests that they do it in a large field nearby with a sign that says God is dead. And they're going to meet there in 10 minutes. Good. Yes, very good. Now, Paula, being the smarty pants she is, she realizes that Rick is close because there was no static on the radio like there was before. Mm. So clearly Rick and the gang are moving towards them and are now much closer. And, uh, you know, she's worried, of course, about Rick killing them or, or not going through with the deal. And Carol says that Rick wouldn't do that because he's a man of his word. You know, I, I, I guess that's true, except Rick does like to kill people these days. Seems like it. Yeah, seems like it. He doesn't mind it. I don't know if he likes it, but okay. he doesn't mind it. He's open to the idea yeah. of killing dudes, killing people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Paula checks. She changes channels on the radio and checks with her team, and they say they are now 10 minutes away. So everything is going to happen in 10 minutes, it seems Yeah, like. it seems awfully convenient. It really does. Um, they walk out a door, kill a couple of zombies, and Paula tells Molly to clear the hall. So uh, they leave Carol alone. While she's alone, she starts sharpening the rosary and cuts off the tape around her hands. So now she, Carol's free. Yay! <laughs> it seemed pretty easy to get free. Uh, she's sneaking around, and she sees Molly in the hall killing some zombies, basically clearing out that hall, I guess, as she was instructed. Yep. And Carol finds Maggie, she frees her, says they have to go, but Maggie says they can't leave them alive. We can't leave them alive. Why gotta, not, really? We gotta kill everybody up in this place. Why? Why do they have to kill everybody? Why not get out, meet up with Rick and the gang, who, you know, by all intents and purposes, have assault rifles, mm -hmm. and then try and kill them? Like, why do it yourselves? Well, yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying. Either way, though, the... The feeling is they need to kill everybody here. And I agree with the sentiment. I right. <laughs> disagree with the execution plan. Okay. All right. Because I think what they're thinking is that if we leave anybody alive, that's basically someone who can tell somebody else what happened here, right? Yeah. We have to kill every last one of these people so no one can go back to somebody else and say, um, guys, there's this group going around. They're killing all. They're killing us, and we need to do something about it. I think they figure if they eliminate them all, no one can do that. And then you know, when Negan or whoever comes along and finds all these dead people, at least he doesn't know exactly what happened. Yeah. Anyways, Maggie really wants to kill everyone. Um, back in the room they were in before, they untie Donnie's tourniquet, and they realize he's already dead and turning into a zombie. I think he was shot in the arm. Well, he was, sh Carol shot him in the arm right at the beginning, in the shoulder. But I think he had another injury to the arm. No, he didn't. I just flipped back to where he was shot and uh, he was shot in the arm. He was not bit after that. He was, uh, the tourniquet was for 
the wound. Okay, so he was just bleeding out and eventually died from it. Yeah. Okay. Um, they they undo the rope though, and they use it to tie him by his belt as a trap in that room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess they tied him to whatever the zombie at the beginning was tied to that was right up in Maggie's face. They put him on there. Um, I'll jump scare you, you bastards. Yeah, pretty much. Now, Molly comes in, and he's right by the door. He bites her. And then Maggie sneaks up, steals Molly's gun, and beats Molly to death with it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they use the zombie trap, and then she beat her to death and got blood all over the camera. Seems like such a a waste of a good camera. Yeah. Getting it covered They can probably clean it off. Oh, probably, yeah. Now, Paula comes in, sees the bodies, and realizes that Maggie and Carol have escaped, and she cocks her weapon, and we go to commercial. (laughs) So she's going after them. All right, we come back, and Maggie and Carol have come to a hall full of zombies that are mostly stuck on stakes, like pipes sticking out of the wall, or on the ground with no legs, so they can't move too quickly. And they realize that they're using them as a barricade to keep them in. I call this the zombicade. A zombicade is exactly what it is. Yes. Now, Paula comes up and shoots at them, but doesn't hit either of them. Uh, Carol, she runs out of ammo. Carol tells Paula to run, but does not shoot back. And she tells her this a couple times, but Maggie keeps telling Carol to shoot her. What are you doing? Don't waste your time. Shoot her. (laughs) Yeah, well, Carol doesn't, she's tired of killing people. Right? Yeah. So she doesn't want to kill anybody. Well, this is interesting because, you know, she was acting all weak and meek and everything all throughout this episode. Now, though, when she has the upper hand and you think she would revert back into, you know, Rambo Carol, she does not. She takes the I don't necessarily want to kill you end of, you know, things like like Morgan. So I think she really, really was influenced by Morgan or what she saw um, Morgan do or what she saw the wolf do when he saved Denise. I think Carol's really having second thoughts about her, you know, attitude towards things. Absolutely. Yeah. Now was that list of people that she has killed is, uh, she's lamenting having to kill living people. Mm-hmm. She's, she's tired of it. 18 is enough. 18 is enough. Yeah. Um, and, and that seems to be what like she started having these thoughts. She looked at her list and thought, my goodness, I've killed 18 people. Someone like Glenn hasn't killed anybody. What am I doing? Like, why am I the murdering psychopath here? So I don't know, Carol, why are you the murdering psychopath? Yeah, it's a good question. And that's what she's asking herself. And so, yeah. you know, this maybe is the worst possible time for this, these feelings to come up because their life is in danger. They've been kept, uh, kept captive and stuff like that. But she tries to give Paula the chance to escape. Yeah. Um, but Maggie is like, no, we're here to kill everybody. So shoot her, shoot her, please shoot her. Why are you not shooting her right now? <laughs> shoot her right now. You're missing, <laughs> you're missing the chance. Yeah. Do it, do it now. Well, while she hesitates, a zombie behind her slides off its stake, gets a hand on Carol, but before it can do anything, Maggie kills it. And at that point, Carol fires and hits Paula, but not lethally. Right. Hits her in the shoulder, I think. Um, do you think she fired on purpose, or did she fire because she was startled from behind and squeezed the trigger by accident? I think she fired on purpose, but I don't think her aim was what she intended to hit. 
Do you think she intended to kill her and missed? Yes, I do. Interesting. Well, she missed. She did not lethally shoot Paula. Um, Shell comes in, and then Maggie and her have to fight, of course. And Shell manages to slice Maggie across the stomach with her knife. Slice her shirt. Uh, yeah, but there's blood stain on the shirt. She got some skin, too, or she got... I'm not sure that she got some skin. I, w- I went back and I watched that a couple of times. I'm not entirely convinced that there was any uh, wound there. I think it was just a, a shirt slice. You think so? I think it's it's clear that we're intended to believe that she cut her. I mean, not seriously, not deep, not enough to harm the baby. Probably just a skin wound, you know, to cause a little bit of blood. I didn't see any blood. I really? just watched it again. I did not see any blood. I saw she's wearing two shirts and one was cut and there was blackness in the bottom where she was kind of, she pulled the shirt and it looked, and there was uh, clothing underneath it that uh, showed huh. it black, but I did not see any blood. Interesting. Okay. No blood. So it's not even a flesh wound. No, she cut her shirt. Cut her shirt. Now, the question is though, this is Michelle who earlier in this episode identified with Maggie for having the baby, didn't want the smoke to harm the baby, you know, was having her own baby at some point, yet she goes to slice a pregnant woman in the belly later on. And I think that was the look of incredulousness that Maggie gave her when she cut her shirt. It's like, wow, you went for the belly even after all of that. Did she though? Or was she just swinging wildly and that's where she got her? Like, I don't know if she intended to go for the belly, but maybe she did. I think she did. I think okay. she went for the belly and sliced the shirt, and that was the pause that we saw. It was like, holy crap, I can't believe you're actually trying to kill my baby, you bitch. After what we talked about, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, that pause doesn't, well, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a very pregnant pause. It's no. a pregnant pause. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, Carol takes the out opportunity to just shoot Michelle in the point blank in the head. Just Take that. takes her down. You, you're going to swipe at a baby. I'm going to shoot you in Belly the head. Belly attempted slicer. <laughs> That's right. Uh, now, of course, Paula's not dead, so she gets up, and Carol still doesn't want to shoot her. She has another opportunity, but doesn't. Paula questions what Carol was so afraid of earlier after being able to do all this, right? You're clearly not that weak. And... Carol approaches her instead of keeping her distance, which gives Paula an opportunity to knock the gun out of her hand. Yeah, you never get that close. No, you just don't walk up to somebody. You've got a a firearm. A firearm is a ranged weapon. Stay at range. Like, even if it's short range, don't get within melee range when you're brandishing a firearm. No. Because you're just going to, you're asking for somebody to knock it out of your hand. Or at least knock it off where you're aiming. Yep. Yeah, no, I was thinking exactly the same thing. It's like, stand back. If you don't want to shoot her, that's fine. Stand back, run away, do something else. Don't walk right up to her. But Paula Four knocks feet, it out. Six feet, eight feet. You know, that's not far. That's not long range for, for a, a pistol. No. You know, uh, a foot is too close. I'm pretty sure even at eight feet away, I could hit somebody with a gun. And I've never fired a gun in my life. So you don't need to be any closer, I don't yeah. think. Let's never find out. Let's never find out. Yeah. Well, uh, so Paula knocks the gun out of her hand. They fight, of course, and Carol ends up um, impaling Paula on one of the spikes that there was a zombie on before. And then she's eaten alive by the zombies that are right there. One of them just uh, tears right into her cheek. 
happiest moment of the episode. Oh, look at you. Hating. so excellent. I was like, yay, she's not going to survive and be around more than one episode. <laughs> you hate Paula so much. You were so happy to see her get eaten. Paula's fine. It's, uh, what's her name? Alicia Witt. Alicia Witt that drives me batshit. Well, you know what? I thought this was one of the more gruesome deaths, not just because of the way it looked, pulling that salami off her face or whatever it was, but just to listen to it. She, you got to give her credit. She knew how to scream. She was a screamer. That yep. woman. And just all the chomping, juicy, liquidy chomping noises and the screaming, I thought that was one of the more troubling deaths. Even though it was, I mean, the screaming was off camera, sort of. Like, we were focused on Carol, I think, while she was screaming, so. There was a scene where you could see right down her throat, but other than that, <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a lot of screaming. Yeah. It, I thought it was pretty brutal uh, in a in a good way. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so man's voice comes on the radio. It's the backup team. And Carol, who looks really, really traumatized by all this stuff, she takes a second, composes herself, and then imitates Paula on the radio and tells them to meet them on the kill floor. The kill floor. Yeah, the kill floor. Did we realize this was an avatar before that? Um, I, I believe the, the kill floor sign... We saw it before in the episode, so yeah, I kind of figured it was something like that. But I saw a machine room sign, but I don't recall seeing a kill floor sign. I, I think we saw kill floor sign, and if not, we definitely see it at this point in the episode. Um, You'd think an avatar would have a euphemism for a kill floor, <laughs> like the, the processing room or the, <laughs> the processing room, yeah, you know, the cancellation room or something like that, the deleted room, yeah. deleting room, not the killing room, the kill <laughs> yeah. floor, yeah. Well, anyways, she tells them to meet them on the kill floor. Now, while they're waiting, uh, Carol tells Maggie that she wishes she just had killed Donnie in the forest because this none of this would have happened then. I'm not so sure that's true, to be honest. Like, No, there was four of them. There were four of them, exactly. She kills Donnie, that's fine, he's dead. But yeah. then they wouldn't have been able to use Donnie as a zombie trap for uh, for Molly. Yeah, there, there, were, there was four of them and they were surrounded already. Yeah. Donnie was, Donnie was just the first one that they saw. That's right. He just walked out too soon. Yeah. Donnie's a bit of a dolt. Um, the men come in and they enter the kill floor and turns out Maggie and Carol not on the kill floor. They're hiding behind the door. Carol lights a cigarette, closes the door, throws it in, and it turns out what they've done is poured some gas all over that room. Mm-hmm. The cigarette lights it up. The whole room goes up in flames. And those poor unsuspecting bastards basically all burned to death in there screaming. Well, that's the kill floor. That's what it's for. <laughs> yes. Don't walk into a room called the kill floor if you don't want to be burned to death. I think I would be a little hesitant about going into a room labeled kill floor <laughs> uh, unless I absolutely knew what was going on in that room and what was happening in the rest of the building. Yeah. But that's just me. That's just you. These guys I, clearly were like, yeah, we'll go in see what's going on. You know what? I can say without a doubt that I've never entered a room labeled kill floor in my life. And no. I think the first time I did that, I'd be nervous. <laughs> Especially after seeing this. Yeah. Don't walk in there and be like, huh, the floor's a little slick in here. I wonder what that is. I don't think I'd walk into a room labeled cancellation room or deleting room or anything like that. Uh, no. No, you don't want to be canceled, deleted, or killed. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So those guys are all dead. So it looks like Maggie and Carol have successfully killed everybody here. 
So they go for the exit. They have to go through that zombie hallway. So they kill the zombies as they go, including, uh, is it Maggie? Puts a knife through zombie Paula's head. Yep. So she's done. Uh, they open the door and everybody else is there. Uh, Glenn, Rick, and the whole team. Glenn embraces Maggie, of course, because they're just so happy to see each other alive. Daryl embraces Carol. And they have a little moment together, which we haven't seen from the two of them in a long time. That was really nice. I thought so, too. He said, are you okay? No, I'm not okay. And then they have a hug. Yeah, that's right. So sweet. It was very, very nice. I mean, the people that want to see them get together uh, were very, very happy about that scene. As was I and am I. Mm -hmm. I'm one of the ones that want to see them together. So I was very happy. Screw Tobin. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, maybe later, but. This is a nice moment between her and Daryl. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we need, we, you know, it's been a long time since we've had a love triangle in this show. Well, come on. We got Abraham, Sasha, and Rosita. That's although... kind of a weird squiggly love line. It's not really a triangle. Yeah. Like, to be a triangle, we'd have to have Rosita and uh, and what's-her-name get into it. Sasha. Like they'd have to, yeah, Sasha. They'd have to have a fight. They'd have to both be in love with, with um, Abraham. That's right. Which is what we had with uh, with Shane, Rick, and Lori. Right? Mm-hmm. That was a true love triangle. True, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we haven't really had a love triangle in a long time. Well, maybe we're gearing up for another one with Tobin, Daryl, and Carol. Well, we had a bit of, a bit of one with Carl and Enid and... Ron. Ron. But, uh, you know, I would, I would classify that as a love triangle. You know what? Now that you mention all these, this show loves love triangles. Well, all shows do. That's true. I mean, it's a trope for any show. As soon as there's a love interest, there's a love triangle. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have a third wheel there. Yeah. Well, all right. So, but you're right. It was a really nice moment between Daryl and Carol because they've barely interacted for a long time. So. Yeah. Um. Now Rick has Primo there, of course, and he tells Primo everybody is dead, so you might as well start talking. You're the only one left. You might as well tell us what we want to know. And. They ask him again how he got the bike, and he says they just found it. <laughs> what is he, eight? Where'd you get the bike? <laughs> I found it. It was on the street. That's right. I found it. These are not my cigarettes. They're my friends. I'm just holding them for him. <laughs> That's right. He just asked me to put them in his pocket. It's yeah, not... I'm just holding them for him. I forgot I had them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then Rick asks, was Negan in the building last night, or was he here? Where's Negan? He wants to know who Negan is and where is he. And Primo's answer is both. I'm Negan, shithead. <laughs> Tricky. And, yeah. And then Rick is like, I've had enough of you. Shoots him in the head. So uh, now everybody is dead. Everybody from all the saviors that they've encountered so far are dead. And uh, we see Carol squeezing that rosary that she sharpened in her hand and drawing blood. And we cut to black and go to the end. So... There you go. So let's talk about, well, let's first say, find out what you you thought about this episode. I thought it was a pretty good episode, Um, kind of a bottle episode, but it was great to see Carol and Maggie get all kinds of good screen time, really good story, really good character stuff for the two of them. Um, And even though it was one location, small subset of the cast, I think this was another really good one along the lines of, like, Morgan and Clear and stuff like that. It was, it was good. It was a bottle episode. I would agree with that. 
uh, and I did like it overall, except for Alicia Witt or whatever her name is. Yeah, yeah, I know. You uh, hate her. And if you if you lifted her out and then put Sybil Shepherd in, I'd be all for it. Like this would be like a good episode. So I won't uh, I won't you know paint the whole episode with uh, this one actress that I don't like. Uh, overall, I liked it. I, I agree that uh, you know Maggie and Carol got lots of good screen time. They got lots of good lines. Uh, I really like the the ominous. Uh, uh, are you going to kill me? And Carol saying, "I hope not," because yeah. that was both ominous because Carol's a badass uh, ninja Rambo chick that can take out a whole group of people if she needs to, and it spoke to her, uh, you know, desire to not kill anybody anymore because she feels bad about that. Sort of leaning towards the Morgan. Uh, way of getting through the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. So I think that was a perfect line and the highlight of the episode for me. It was really good. I I was feeling at first that maybe Carol's sort of flip-flop on her, on her um, ideals here came a little quickly. Like she was all about killing all those wolves, killing everybody she had to, you know, and then all of a sudden she suddenly starts seeing things from Morgan's side and it hasn't, I mean, I, I know we skipped that month of time or whatever, so I guess her sort of feelings have changed over that time. But in terms of what we felt or what we've seen as the audience, it felt a little quick. But at the end of the day, I don't really mind it because it's it's proven to make Carol a really, really interesting character again. And she's one of those characters that has probably changed the most over the whole course of the series. And... There wasn't a lot with Carol for a long time there, but we we seem to be getting plenty right now. And, you know, Melissa McBride is amazing, so it, she's fun to watch. You know, I, and despite you not liking Alicia Witt at all, I think she would, did a really, really great job in this episode. I think she she just delivered a really fantastic performance. And all the stuff with her and Melissa, Maggie didn't have as many interactions, or uh, Lauren Cohan didn't, but all of them I thought were really great. So it was... I thought for a bottle episode, this was one of the better ones for sure. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that overall. I don't. I don't think that the the flip flop on Carol's character, f- as far as killing go, was too quick because I think that's a kind of a uh, a Walking Dead thing. As soon as you say something, you have to do the opposite. Right. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, more in the comic than in the television show. Right at the at the prison, when uh, Rick says, "We do not kill the living," and then like three panels later, he has to shoot somebody. Yeah. So it's just, uh, so I don't mind the quick flip-flops in this show in particular, because I know it's part of uh, having to do what you need to do in order to survive, regardless of what your morals are. Right. So if you make a moral decision and make it in the moral absolute, you're going to have to do the opposite in the very near future. Yeah, you have to be careful about making those sorts of strong statements, because there, there are no rules right there are no we don't kill the living well that's you can't really say that because at some point you're gonna have to kill a living person because they're threatening you yeah um so you're right i mean we've seen rick go through that a bunch of times and carol is realizing that not every situation is the same and and i don't think carol's totally on the morgan end of things right she's not where he is and he doesn't want to kill anybody and he's but like and he he refuses he says that all life has value and i think she's starting to feel that way and starting to think well maybe we just don't 
we don't murder people all the time. Maybe, you know, all life does have value. So we at least have to take the opportunity to think about what we're doing. Yeah. So we only murder people once we've had a chance to think it over for a few minutes. Sure. And if you come to the conclusion that murder is the answer, then murder is the answer. Absolutely. But it might not be the only answer. And that's pretty cool to see. Uh, uh, certainly from Carol's end of things where she was really on one side before and she's coming over to the other team a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So this whole idea that Negan isn't a person, that he is an idea. I find this pretty fascinating. It is interesting. He's, he's more of an ideology than anything. And this could mean two things that either one, he is an extremely effective leader and he's got everybody believing the same thing. Or he's an extremely brutal leader, has brainwashed all these people into following him. Or maybe a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. Maybe you do need to be an effective leader to brainwash people. <laughs> I, I think that Negan is an actual real-life, honest-to-goodness person. Yeah. Well, we know And uh, I think that he's probably got everybody thinking that it's a philosophy, too. We are Negan. Mm-hmm. But that's, his, uh, that's his line that he uses to, to rally the troops. Yeah. No, I, I mean, we know he's a real life person. There hasn't been an actor cast to play Negan. We've talked about it. Um, but I think it really is interesting and I'm very excited to see, uh, and I hope we get to see him kind of persuading his people in this way. Right. I would love to see, well, I don't know. I, I can say this now, but I feel like I would love to see a couple of Negan episodes where we see where like we, we got with the governor, those two episodes of seeing him sort of rebuild himself. I didn't yep. I didn't think that was executed very well on the show. It was OK, but not amazing. But if they could do some Negan episodes about him building up this ideology amongst his people and seeing how he did that, I feel like that would make for some really fascinating TV. I think that would be interesting. I would wa- I would simply want to see a motivational speech where yeah. it's, uh, everybody gets uh, you know riled up and uh, uh, you know ador- lots of adoration for him. I think that'd be really nice. I think it as would- long as they don't do it like an awful way, like they did in the se- second Matrix movie with uh, Morpheus rallying the the, the people in uh, Zion, and then they have that big orgy party. <laughs> that was awful. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember that but i don't think we'll go there anymore like you know we're gonna you know we don't do it underground everybody's gonna keep their shirts on everything's gonna be fine that's right well they might not keep their shirts on negan i could see negan taking his shirt off rallying the troops yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) anyways i do think that would be fascinating i think it would be tricky to pull off because a lot of people would be like you know why are we getting all this information about this guy who is this guy but i think that would be the point you know, we'd get an Egan episode or a couple maybe um, so that we can get an idea of who he is, how he operates. And I mean, the more you know about this guy, the more impact it's going to have when he finally does interact with our characters. And maybe we'll get some of that through his interactions with our characters. But either way, I just hope they, they flesh him out a little bit. And, um, you know, we just get to see how he operates a bit because... I think this whole idea that we got in this episode that, you know, they're all part of it is really cool. I, I agree. And what's his name? Richard Dean Morgan? Uh, Jeffrey Dean Anderson? No. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> uh, the actor who's going to be playing Negan. Yeah. Uh, he's a very charismatic guy. 
And I think he's, uh, if we get what you want out of that actor, like if we get the scenes that you want, that actor is going to be able to pull them off. Yeah. And it's going to be, uh, it's going to be great to see on screen. What did you say? His name Richard is Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I was close. You were close, closer than me. <laughs> and usually I'm the one who can remember. Names. Harry Dean Anderson is uh, MacGyver, isn't he? Well, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Richard Dean Anderson. Either way, he's not Negan. Uh, yeah. so yeah, so let's, that would be fun. I think it would be good. Anyways, good episode, uh, entertaining. And, uh, it was not a Tara and Heath on the road episode. Like we thought maybe last <laughs> week. <laughs> nope. I have a feeling, I'm just going to say, I have a feeling this would have been a very different conversation had that been the episode we got this week. Wow. Well, I don't know. It could have, it could have been uh, much better. We might get that episode next week. You never know. I mean, that, the, the quality of that episode is both amazing and terrible all at once right now because yep. Schrodinger's episode, right? It's Schrodinger's episode. Yeah. yeah. It's both terrible and awesome. All at the same Until time. Until it happens. Until yep. it happens. All right. Let's take a quick break, Jason. When we come back, we will do our holy crap moments. Stay with us. Hey everybody, if you want to help support the Talking Dead podcast, you can do so by visiting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. What you do there is make a small monthly pledge as little as $1 a month, which is less than a cup of coffee every day. And uh, it all comes straight to us to help us put uh, defer defray the cost of putting on the podcast. So there's a few different reward levels you can check out, including some higher end ones where you can tell us what to talk about on the podcast. I know that a lot of people want to know, hey, what did you think of the Lord of the Rings movies? Or <laughs> what were your thoughts on the, uh, you know, first few seasons of Sex in the City? That kind of thing. So if you want to hear us record bonus episodes, well, you can come, become a Patreon, a patron at patreon.com slash the talking dead, and then maybe tell us what to watch. Sex in the City season, uh, you know, vetoing rights we will re retain. <laughs> sure. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there are some rules there, but not too many, and we'll consider anything. So uh, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead to check that out. Thanks so much for everyone who supports the show. This is Melissa McBride, and I play Carol on The Walking Dead. 
and you're listening to The Talking Dead. Holy crap. Did you see that? That is right. It is time for Holy Crap, Did You See That? Not too many this week, but we'll read through a few here. And the first one comes in the form of a voicemail. So we will start with Bianca in the Philippines. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Bianca from Manila, Philippines. Happy New Year. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy spring break. Happy birthday. Thanks. I just wanted to say I finished watching today's episode and I really enjoyed it. Lots of action, lots of stress. And maybe my holy crap moment would have been when Carol was hesitant to kill the leader of the saviors who captured them. Other than that, it's been a really good run. Last week's episode was exciting. Today's was crazy too. I need to sleep now, but I can't. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to the last few episodes. I'm also excited to hear your feedback on this. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Thank you, Bianca. So, yeah, Carol's hesitation. I mean, we've kind of talked about that a fair bit already, but uh, it's just cool to see Carol taking a different side. Moral dilemmas are fun to watch sometimes. You know, that's what TV, all the time I'd say, that's what TV and movies are all about, people's moral dilemmas and them trying to sort them out and solve them. Yeah, or or logical dilemmas. I guess so, yeah. Well, because Magnum P.I. didn't really have any moral... Well, he, you know, there was moral issues, but uh, mostly it was just trying to solve mysteries. Right, right. He didn't struggle with what he was... The morality of what he was doing. He was just trying to solve the crime. Yeah, and and coming to terms with the fact that he was a, a Vietnam War veteran as well. Mm-hmm. So Lots mor- of struggles there. Moral dilemmas, uh, logical dilemmas, and if you put the two together... You've got a winning combination. Yeah, a little PTSD thrown in there. There you go. Perfect. All right. We got an email from Rebecca, north of Gettysburg, PA. Rebecca says, I'd like to add my holy crap moment. The look on both Maggie and Shell's face uh, in the knife fight after Shell slices lightly, I hope, across Maggie's belly. She definitely looked regretful for it. Don't mess with a mama. (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure there was no actual cut. No, but you know what? Now that... Uh, Rebecca mentions that I'm not sure Shell realized that in the moment and that's what caused her to hesitate right she swiped the baby or swiped the belly and was like oh my god what have I done but didn't have too much time to think about it because she was immediately shot in the head right after so (laughs) moral (laughs) dilemma solved (laughs) that's right speaking of moral dilemmas that one's gone (laughs) all your moral dilemmas go out the window when you get shot point blank in the side of the head yes they do Thank you, Rebecca. Next is Sean on the internet. Holy crap. Did you see Carol go from unstable to doughty to crazy mad killer? Also, do you think we are getting a fragmented view of Negan's people? They just seem underwhelming. So it's kind of two points in there. Um, yes, Carol has changed a lot, but fragmented view of Negan's people. Like, yeah, I mean, so far our group has had little trouble killing them all. I think that's going to come back to bite them in the ass, but is this like sort of the fringe end of Negan's people? Like, are these the not so capable followers of his? I don't know. No, I just think that they're uh, remote. Like, they're not the the main host of Negan's people. I think they're just the people on the outskirts of uh, the main area that they control. Right? It's an outpost. It's a safe house. It's a couple of patrols, that kind of thing. It's uh, it's not the, the main encampment, the main body. 
So, you know, if Negan has, and this is, uh, Negan also doesn't have eyes on these people, right? Like, he hasn't figured out who Rick and the gang are. Mm-hmm. If they figure out who Rick and the gang are and where they're holed up, then it's going to be a very different story. Yeah. But I, I mean, I just got finished saying during the recap that these people seemed organized. They had, which apparently, according to you, is not such a big deal, but they had, you know, a system for the two-way radios and stuff like that. Yeah. And the fact that they have safe houses and patrols and things seems like they're a capable group, yet our group comes along and, you know, has very little trouble dealing with them. That's true. Um, I'm not saying it was easy or anything, but they didn't, you know, we didn't lose anybody on our side or on Rick's side. They lost everybody. That's yeah. That's a massacre. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty significant. Um, and then the other thing is the two guards. Remember how useless those two guards were at the, the radar building? So I wonder if these aren't quite the cream of the crop when it comes to Negan's people. We might be, I mean, our characters that we know might be in for a pretty big surprise when they do run into people that are a little less useless. That's, I don't know, that's, uh, I think, all that I think Sean is saying, and I think I might agree with him. I, well, I'm not sure I do, because I think that these, these people were all capable they just were caught unawares. They weren't expecting this level of resistance. Yeah, but isn't that sort of the point? Like, you should never be caught that unaware. I mean, if you're... Oh, that is a good good point. You know, you should be all you should be prepared for anything, and you should always be vigilant, and these guys weren't. Yeah, okay, you want me over. All right. <laughs> maybe they're not totally useless, and sure, maybe there is an element of surprise. But even, like, think about it. The guys on the road, the motorcycle gang, even those guys who executed a pretty perfect ambush... Um, were all killed, <laughs> you know, in yeah. the end, you know, so it wasn't a perfect ambush, but they should have had a hundred percent the upper hand in that situation and they still screwed it up. Yeah. But I think that also, you know, there's an also a counter argument that uh, it happens to the best of people. Look at, uh, Daryl and Rick. These are two very capable individu- individuals. Mm. Jesus had, uh, handed them their asses a couple of times in that one episode. God, that's true. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So never let your guard down and yeah. don't make stupid decisions is what it comes down to. And no matter how much better you are at uh, Negan's minions, uh, Jesus is still better. Yeah, that's true. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. I'm glad he's on our side. <laughs> yeah, really? Eh? <laughs> we found him first. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we didn't. The saviors found him, but they didn't get along so well. I'm really glad that he's on our side because I like him. I like I him like too. the fact that I like him and I like that he's joined our group and is uh, going to entertain us for good and not because we want him dead. That's true. I, I agree. I think Jesus is a fantastic character. I think Tom Payne is playing him really well. So it's going to be fun to have him around for a while. Okay, Justine and NorCal. Does anyone else think that the woman who interrogated Maggie looked exactly like what a daughter of Maggie and Glenn would look like? Or am I just crazy? <laughs> I didn't really think about that. No, neither did I. Justine wanted to know if we thought the writers, like, or the producers did that on purpose. I don't think so. And I didn't really, it didn't occur to me at the time, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe she's supposed to look like the the love child of those two. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think so, though. All right, Michael in Brisbane, Brisbane, Australia. Holy crap, did you see the way that the room was set up where the saviors were holding Carol and Maggie when they first arrived. It was very similar to the way the two guys were held in the first Saw movie. One person restrained on either side of the room with a dead body in the middle. Oh, yeah. 
So I've never seen any Saw films. You should see the first one. Really? Don't watch any of the other ones, but the first one you should watch. Really? It was done for like $1,000 by three guys in a camera. Yeah, but... Like, it it, it launched a franchise that uh, has put you off, I'm sure, which is why you haven't seen any of them, but watch the first one. It's not the fact that it's a franchise that's put me off. It's the It's the genre. It's the torture porn that I'm just not interested in. The first one wasn't necessarily like that. It kind of went down that road as the franchise progressed. Because they had to continually one-up themselves sort of thing? Yeah, it, it evolved. It definitely evolved into that. And granted, it has been a long time since I've seen the first Saw movie. But uh, I, it's it's definitely not as bad as the remainders. It's a... Uh, I would still... I would recommend watching it. I think you should watch it. You should see it with an open mind. And don't prejudge it before you watch it, even though you have already. Try and undo some of that prejudice and, uh, you know, go and watch it. Well, I mean, my prejudgment is is definitely based on what that franchise turned into, yeah. you know. Ignore all that crap. Okay. Just so... watch the first one. You don't have to watch the rest. You're not uh, committing yourself to anything other than just watching this entertaining independent movie. Okay. So if the first one does have something to offer more than just the the – the desire to f- gross us out and shock us, then then I could be on board with that. I might be okay with it. Right. So maybe I'll give it a ch- chance right. one of these days. Anyways, Michael sent a couple of pics as well, and he's right. The rooms themselves are very similar, and uh, there's a dead body in the floor in between two people. So I don't know. It could have been a game. This could have been an intentional tribute. I think this is more likely than, uh, than Shell looking like <laughs> what the baby would look like all grown up. Um, cause maybe, I don't know. It's, it wouldn't be the first time that the walking dead is done like an actual tribute to, uh, to something. It's mostly to a horror f- movie. Yeah. yeah. To a horror movie, usually zombies and stuff like that, but they could have maybe. Yep. All right. Chris, a Torontonian living in Philly writes, holy crap. This savior group was pretty smart. They were super organized and tactical. They had different codes and backup codes to the radio and had good tactical strategies when dealing with Rick's group. They knew what they were doing. They accurately predicted that Rick's group was close by just the lack of static on the radio, and they were able to call in for reinforcements. If the main savior group is this organized, the Rickadians are in for a tough battle. They are. So see, this is me and Chris, even though his name is spelled differently. We uh, we have the same, we get the same thought here. How's his name spelled? With a K. K-R-Y-S? No, I. K-R-I-S? I guess it, guess it could be a woman, but I just, I don't know for sure. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> well, your wife's name is Chris, too. Yeah, but she spells with a C-H. But usually, I mean, a woman would be more, I don't know. The K could, could go either way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll uh, just shut up now. Well, all Chris's agree that the uh, the saviors are organized. Yes, they were organized. That's right. Yeah. And, and again, these people might be the low end saviors and they're still pretty organized. So who knows what we're in for? Uh, anyways, Henry in Dublin, Ireland writes my, Oh my God, did you see that moment was how come those savior women weren't so tough? They had the proper security procedures and processes like changing channels on the walkies, etc. But then to leave Carol with her rosary beads and to split her and Maggie up and not leave them tied to something was just amateur. To survive, to survive as long in the post-zombie apocalypse as now, you need to be tough and smart and savvy. Unless you lived in Alexandria, I suppose. 
but these road warriors should really have known better. It's true. So see, tape somebody's head to a post. That's the way you do it. Yeah, and they kept leaving them alone in rooms, and you know, like Henry said, to not take those uh, take the rosary away from her. So. I guess you can see this from both sides. On one hand, they're organized and they have systems. On the other hand, they're making dumb decisions and leaving them alone. Yeah. So, I think that's the nature of being human. Sometimes you do smart things. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. That's what happens. Gemma in South Wales writes, My holy crap moment is Carol's fight with Paula. Carol impales her on a spike and then a walker bites off her face. Not a nice way to go at all. And the screaming noise she made was unpleasant. Very unpleasant. <laughs> That's what I thought. That was the most unpleasant, unpleasantest thing. Yeah. Personally, every noise she made was unpleasant, but that was mostly unpleasant. Yeah. There you go. I think you need to give her a cut her some slack, man. She did Nine. really good in this episode. She did really no slack well. given. No slack. All right. I will give her no quarter. All right. Fine. Michael in London. My holy crap this week is holy crap. Is that the most feeble single leg takedown? Uh, by Carol when she knocked that guy over <laughs> reminds me of the first <laughs> reminds me of the first Austin Powers when the plane hits turbulence and Austin Powers goes oh I fell over oh I fell over again <laughs> uh, so I guess he's just referring to when Carol kicks the dude in the ankle and he falls down yeah oh that hurt I'm gonna lie down <laughs> well it would hurt if someone kicked me in my ankle I'd... but would you fall down I might I don't know. If someone I, just kicked you in the ankle. If I'd been previously shot in the shoulder, eh, you know, I think it would hurt. And I have a bad ankle. So if you kick me in the bad ankle, I'm going to fall down and not be very happy. And then to yeah. headbutt me. It was still pretty feeble. All right, fine. <laughs> Nobody kicked me in the ankle. I don't want to fall down. Yeah. Uh, Jack in rainy England writes, holy crap, did you see the perfect naming of the kill floor? I'm sure <laughs> it had an appropriate purpose before the apocalypse. But the builders really had foresight when naming that room. Build it, and they shall come. Yes. <laughs> Build it, and people will come and die here. So be careful yeah. walking into kill floors, everybody. Yeah, be sure. Be sure to be careful. Uh, Danielle in Buckinghamshire. Holy crap. Did you see how fake the bite to Paula's face was? It looked like, it looked quite similar uh, to when I have salami for lunch. <laughs> Didn't you make a salami comment during the uh, the recap? I did. And maybe I was subconsciously recalling Danielle's email here, but uh, I don't know. I thought That's how I get, uh, you know, when I'm making a sandwich and I want to take the meat out of the package, the salami out of the, uh, the, you know, the sliced salami package and put it onto the bread. That's what I do. I just stick my face in there and bite in the middle and pull up a, a single piece. Maybe <laughs> I get a couple of pieces at the same time and then I put it onto the sandwich. Okay. Well, I, I thought you were going to tell us what you do when you want to get a piece of salami out and put it on your face. No. No, that's a whole No, that's just for thing. a sandwich. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I didn't think it looked that fake, but I do see what Danielle is saying. It wasn't the best effect ever, but I was overwhelmed by the whole death of of Paula anyways, so I, I could look past it. Right. And it certainly didn't make me think of lunch. Because <laughs> that's probably that, true. That would be gross. Yeah. All right. That is it for Holy Crap. And that is it for the podcast as well. We will, of course, be back on uh, Wednesday later this week to do our feedback show for this episode. So that means you guys all have to send your feedback in. You can do that 
by visiting our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, and clicking on Send Voicemail to record a message right into your computer. Um, and uh, you can also send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. I sometimes take some feedback from Facebook, uh, but a lot of comments go through there, so it's, it's hard to keep track of it all. Um, but, but visit us for sure. Like us. That would be fantastic. And you can also find us on Twitter at talking dead. I do try to, you know, follow the tweets and stuff like that, but it can be very hard because Twitter is the one platform where almost everybody mistakes us for AMC's show. So it's hard to weed out the people that are trying to reach out to us versus them. So it's, is what it is. Yeah. Uh, and as I said off the top, we're going to have a new giveaway announced on Wednesday that is going to take the form of a raffle. So tune into that podcast to find out what that is all about. Um, and uh, I hope you're going to want to enter that because it should be fun. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That's going to do it for us for this Monday night. We've only got, what, three episodes left of the show this That's season? That's it. 14, 15, and 16, so oh, it's wow. it's flying by. It's uh, leading up to a pretty big finale, I think. And uh, I've got no idea what's going to happen between now and then, so it's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Very, very exciting. Are you excited? I am super excited. I know, you always are. <laughs> well, we're going to get all new saviors. Like, we've killed everyone we've found so far, so uh, we'll have to have new adventures with our intrepid heroes. <laughs> All new saviors every week, all new saviors because we keep killing them off. We keep killing every one of them. So, uh, gotta move on to the next one. Yeah, move on to the next group. All right, that's it, everybody. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. I love you. Bye. I love you. Bye. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> but that's okay. Weird is good sometimes. Yeah. <laughs>